This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax Gold with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years. With a 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest uh, is a, an otolaryngologist extraordinaire, uh, a real innovator, founder and director of the Voice Institute in New York, uh, which is a comprehensive voice and reflux treatment center. And she has some uh, innovative and unorthodox ideas about how we should be dealing with this problem. She said in part one that we've taken a big wrong turn uh, by treating all these conditions with a powerful acid-blocking drugs. So what's the alternative? And she's got an answer. She's the principal author of Dropping Acid, the Reflux Diet Cookbook and Cure. And she also uh, has just written a book about acid reflux in children. Tell us about that, Dr. Kaufman. Well, um, I... Uh I actually had an unusual experience. I uh, I, I was uh, honored at uh, national meetings last year and received an award. And after the meeting was over, they asked me to speak about my work. We went upstairs to have dinner, and I said to one of my colleagues, "I'm uh, I'm I'm disappointed. I've not had a greater impact on my colleagues in the field, uh, meaning the, the the wider group of ENT physicians." and this young woman stood up and she put her hands on her hips and she said, Jamie Kaufman, five years ago at this meeting at this very hotel, I took you out to lunch and you changed my career. And then someone else piped up a little further down the table, me too. And I looked at the two of them and they were, <coughs> excuse me, uh, yeah, uh, the two young, very, very prominent uh, pediatric otolaryngologists, uh, Karen Zur and Julie Way from a children's hospital in Philadelphia and the MERS and, and uh, so anyway, I said to them, hmm, I've been wanting to write a book on, on reflux in children. So as we began to outline and work together, this book is, process has taken a year, we began to have conversations about what was going on. And I recognized that when I was growing up, I remember getting sick once. I had an ear infection when I was about four. I'll never forget it. It was the most painful experience of my life. And about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the GP came, didn't even move me to examine my ear, pulled down my uh, my pajamas and gave me a shot. But now go outside and look at the, listen to the kids on the playground. All of our children are born healthy, and by age 3, they're all sick. They all have allergies and asthma, and they're congested, and they're coughing, and they're hoarse, and they have uh, a multiple medications, and, uh, and they all sound awful. And so, you know, we sort of looked at each other and said, it's the food. And so to give you a modest example, uh, a young woman worked for me who had a seven-year-old child who, who kept having asthma. Oh, I'm going to be in late this morning. We were in the emergency room last night with my child's asthma. And I had a talk with her. And I said, listen, do me a favor. 
Uh, no more bedtime snacks, particularly no ice cream and chocolate milk. Um, have your child's dinner, have your child's dessert, then do bath, homework, whatever else, and at least for a child, a minimum of an hour and a half uh, between uh, the, the meal and the bedtime. And sure enough, this child's asthma went away. Mm-hmm. So what we've written is a book that is uh, basically gives pay, uh, parents, uh, empowers parents to think about the alternative of reflux, particularly if their child's on medicine and still has the same nasal congestion and other symptoms. And, um, and, and to actually identify reflux and, and treat it. We even have a kid-friendly conversation where you can, you can read it and discuss what reflux is with your child. And uh, so this book is just out on Tuesday. By the way, such a such a common that, problem, because what we're seeing and this is this is, this is we're seeing so many kids. We, this was unthinkable uh, twenty thirty years ago. But uh, infants who are put on acid blocking medication. I mean, it, what's going on with that? It's the food. It's the food. Yep. Who whoever dreamed? I mean, the food industry is smart. People like sugar and fat and salt and so uh, these are the things that cause reflux and then people's lives have gotten busier and busier and busier and they're eating later and later and later if your child has soccer practice and is going to go to school tomorrow and you get home at eight o'clock and that child has dinner and goes to bed that child has reflux Mm -hmm. and so the 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 uh dietary and lifestyle issues um really are family-wide. The parents have reflux and the kids have reflux. The diets are poor. And in in most cases, um, uh, people who are uh, uh, less well-off tend to have worse diets. Uh, That's been Mm well-documented because of uh, the cost of fast food relative to the cost of healthy food. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is a national epidemic. It affects half of Americans, period. And that includes infants, children, and adults. So tell us about dropping acid and the reflux diet that you proposed there. Well, it was the first, what here's what happened is we were um, we 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 did some research and we found out that um, acid in the throat at a certain level of acidity, it was pH five, caused damage. So uh, the esophagus. That's is not even that acidic. That's the stomach acid is a thousand times stronger than that. Well, the answer is that, that even dilute acid causes problems. But here's what we figured out: that the most of the damage, most of the tissue damage, even even a, a, a causation of cancers, is probably not because of the acid, even though we call it acid reflux, but because there's this enzyme called pepsin. Mm-hmm. Pepsin is a very vicious uh, enzyme. Pepsin will break down all kinds of stuff and cause all kinds of damage, inflammation. Mm-hmm. and uh, even is associated with laryngeal cancer. So pepsin is a big, huge molecule, and when it comes up with a reflux episode, it attaches itself to the tissue. So now you've got tissue-bound pepsin. It's sitting in wherever, in your larynx, on your tonsils, mm-hmm. on your vocal cords, uh, in your trachea, in your sinuses. It's sitting there. And what is it waiting for? It's waiting for acid. And so if you have more reflux or stuff coming up from below, that'll do. But if you drink, you know, yourself a soda pop or an orange juice or anything else that has acid. So what happened was we kept measuring the acidity of stuff and we couldn't figure it out. Everything in a bottle or a can, this is, we're talking about like 2010, 
we kept measuring and we kept measuring with pH meters, and everything was like the same acidity as stomach acid, and we couldn't figure it out. And finally, my research assistant came to me and said, I found it. In 1973, following an outbreak of botulism, which, as you know, is a deadly type of food poisoning, mm. uh, the FDA mandated that everything in a bottle or a can crossing state lines be uh, either acidic or be acidified. Mm. And so that's when manufacturers began putting acid and stuff. And sometimes they don't, it's not so obvious. Mm -hmm. So I was taking care of a singer who was uh, singing in Motown. And her reflux was bad. That's and a, the Broadway was going show, Mo well. Motown, which, the was Broadway a show. which was a wonderful yeah. show. Love that show. It was a wonderful show. Anyway, she comes in all proud of her coconut water. And I looked at her coconut water. And that sounds like really mild, natural, neutral, you know, uh, soothing. Well, well, listen to the story. Remember, it's got to be acidic. So this, all it has in there is coconut water and vitamin C. Hmm. So I said to her, do you know what vitamin C is and why they put it in there? She said, no. I said, well, vitamin C is ascorbic acid and mm -hmm. it's put in there to acidify. So we took out the pH meter and we measured and the acidity was pH 2.9. Oh, wow. So here it says all natural. Watch out for vitamin C enhanced. Mm -hmm. So really, every so mm. the dropping acid came about because we recognized that when people were really sick with reflux, particularly respiratory reflux or LPR, mm -hmm. you needed to get rid of the pepsin. You needed yeah. to get rid of the reflux. You needed to let the tissue heal. And so we wanted people to drop acid by eliminating everything that was acidic. And so we put them on a diet of uh, the only fruit we allowed was melons and bananas and nothing out of a bottle or a can except water. We put them on a detox program, mm -hmm. and we were shocked that it worked. It even worked in people who were taking, you know, whole handfuls of those PPIs. Mm. They came back smiling and happy, and the, the differences were noticeable, both clinically and measurably. You so also... The uh, dropping acid idea. Yeah. So you, the you, dropping acid idea persists. Yeah, and the book is a classic. It's been around for a long time, and I've referred to it many times and recommended it to many patients. Um, Thank you. Uh, alkaline water, you know, it's it's unusual for, uh, you know, an, an academic physician with great credentials to write uh, a scientific paper about the efficacy of alkaline water. Tell us about that. Well, we started this whole thing. It's a 2000. If you want to talk about irony, Stoffman, I... Uh, I put a post on alkaline water up this morning um, on my blog. Um, here's what happened. A, a company contacted me and said, we, uh, we have a water that's pH 8.8, .8, and the reason we're calling you is we're getting calls from people saying that drinking our water makes their reflux go away. Hmm. So I, I said, well, that makes sense. Because we had already done a paper, remember this nasty enzyme pepsin. Mm -hmm. Pepsin dies at pH 8. That mm -hmm. means anything mm -hmm. above pH 8, the molecule basically mm -hmm. falls apart. Yeah. For, for, so for, for, for listening audience, just to clarify, pepsin is like, uh, is like a grenade. I mean, it's, it's a digestive enzyme, but enzymes are only active at certain pHs. It's either uh, acidity or alkalinity triggers their activity. In this case, pepsin is, you know, being a stomach enzyme, it's active at a low pH, so that makes it more potent. And when you rev up the pH to, you know, 
a neutral pH is what? Seven. And you go yep. above seven, that's alkaline. Below seven is acidic. And so the pH water, that's not very alkaline. It's not like drinking lye, you know, God forbid. That's a very no. alkaline thing. It's just a little bit slightly alkaline. And that does the trick. Yep. So here's the deal. Alkaline, just for people who don't know, is the opposite of acid. And so if you look at um, uh, the pH scale, which is complicated, um, pH 7 is neutral, and above that is alkaline, and below that's acid, okay? Mm -hmm. When you get up to around pH 8, we actually went in the laboratory and showed that we were actually killing the pepsin molecule, that the, the molecule was essentially um, being denatured. And what that meant was even if you reintroduced acid, it wasn't going to do anything. By the way, pepsin is so potent that uh, biochemists use pepsin to break up proteins routinely. It's called pepsinization mm -hmm. for further study. Yeah. It's the thing they use to break down proteins. So what, what, what we did is we actually looked at this from several different points of view. And it turns out nothing in nature is naturally alkaline like natural alkaline water. And alkaline water uh, trickles through caverns underground and calcium carbonate and a few other things can be added. And it can come out of the ground around pH 9. And so we have used the alkaline water now um, as an adjunctive treatment and recommendation to patients um, for uh, 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 all the years. Since, well, I guess it's just now five years. It feels like it's longer than that. And many patients will tell you that the alkaline water helps them. Uh, the most important thing to know about alkaline water um is there is no downside. In other words, there's no, um, uh, if you can't drink too much of it, um, it's not about changing the pH inside your body. It's actually treating the tissues when you swallow it. Now, I will make one caveat. Mm -hmm. There are two types of alkaline water on the market. There are manufactured ones and natural ones. Mm -hmm. So Coca-Cola makes one where they take basically tap water, and they put in phosphates and stuff to change the pH. Right. And um, some of those manufactured ones, patients will tell me, burn their throat. Uh -huh. So given a choice between a natural alkaline water uh -huh. and a manufactured alkaline water, I prefer the natural ones. Isn't, but isn't, they're all listed. If you Isn't alkaline water basically what they call hard water? You know, it's got a lot of yes. dissolved minerals in it, like calcium and magnesium. Sometimes, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so, calcium carbonate, I think, is the main one. Yeah. So if you use a water softener, you know, maybe you're doing yourself a disservice. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, I, I actually have a pitcher that makes alkaline water. I buy it from a Canadian woman. Mm -hmm. um, most pitchers, like a, a Brita filter, which is fine for, you know, getting stuff out of water. They take stuff the out. Water slightly more... Right. Yeah, but it makes the water slightly more acidic. Uh, yeah. So this particular pitcher I used because I was tired of having bottles everywhere and hauling bottles. And this little pitcher, I fill it up once a day, and I try to actually drink the whole pitcher during the day mm -hmm. because I tend to run dry. Mm -hmm. But alkaline water is one of those things that's not going to go away. It's not a trendy chic. Um, there's probably some data um, that it's probably good for your prostate. It theoretically may have um, some uh, other benefits that are broader. Um, in animal studies, for example, in mice that have tumors, if you feed them an alkaline diet, you'll slow down tumor growth rates. 
So there, there are a lot, there's a lot of things we don't know about alkaline water, but, but for sure, it's one of the things that people can do um, who have uh, symptoms, particularly throat symptoms. So uh, alkaline water is here to stay. It's the only thing we have in nature that's easily found by everybody and um, um, has no downside. You know, one of the things that you assert is that when we're talking about GERD, it's often associated with obesity, but LPR is not. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, obesity predisposes to all kinds of reflux, not just GERD, um, because what happens is when you lie down at night, um, you may have, um, we do body composition analysis. I had a woman who was uh, not five foot two, but 216 pounds. And when I did a body composition analysis, she was more than 50% fat. Mm-hmm. So when, she, when you lie down, if you've got a big, huge belly, which that's pushing on your stomach and encouraging whatever's in your stomach to come up. So reflux, um, esophageal reflux is common in obesity. Um, the, the bigger, you'll never guess what the number one risk factor for respiratory reflux or LPR is. Number one, by far. Yeah, no, I. What time you eat dinner? Uh, what time okay. you eat dinner is the number one reflux. Mm. And here's what's happened. You, I had a guy who was a restaurant manager, um, a bit fancy place here in Midtown, and um, uh, he'd leave work like clockwork at eleven o'clock at night. By midnight, he was home, had dinner, was mm. in bed. And uh, all we did is we made him stop at 5.30 before mm. the restaurant got too busy and have dinner and not eat anything when he went home, and all of his reflux went away. And by the way, so that, that's, healthy, that's healthy anyway because it's now referred to as TRF, time-restricted feeding, where you give your body yep. a rest, and that's actually been associated with uh, longevity, uh, immune restoration, uh, all kinds of health benefits. No question. I, it turns out that... Um, I, you know, my friend, my friends all say to me, when you tell New Yorkers that they have to use six <laughs> o'clock, don't they just tell you, don't they just tell you to go to hell? And my <laughs> response is that most people are really compliant. Um, 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 I know that, um, tonight is a writing night for me. Um, I'm, I'm working on a new book on, uh, um, voice problems and it's just a writing night. I'm like, I'm on a roll. So when I get home, whenever I get home, which will be soon after we finish, I'll have my dinner. And then I won't eat again. Mm-hmm. If I get hungry around 8 o'clock, I'll make myself a little pot of chamomile tea or manuka honey tea with no caffeine. That'll settle my stomach. It won't turn on all the enzymes and keep me from feeling hungry. But, I mean, I think the, the other half of the coin, by the way, is that your idea of, you know, your feeding times is it makes uh, no sense to skip meals. I always have breakfast. I have snacks. I always have a big lunch. We close our office from 12.30 to 1.30 for lunch. Everybody gets lunch. Um, and then uh, that for me, that's my big meal of the day. And then if I have an event, um, even even a, a, a big event, sometimes I'll have dinner before I go because I know the meal's not going to be served till 9 o'clock. So, you know, that's a big factor for a lot of folks. And then, of course, there's alcohol. Oh, yeah. If you, if you fall asleep with a buzz, you're refluxing all night. Yep. You on a different Sorry. note, uh you know in uh, doing a little research on you, you wrote an, a very interesting op-ed in the New York Times last year entitled The Specialist's Stronghold on Medicine. Why is medicine so expensive? And 
you know, it's kind of funny coming from you because you're a super specialist. You're a, an otolaryngologist. That means you got to go for, you know, extra fellowship training and you got to lock on a very specific niche of medicine. And yet you inveigh against uh, specialization. How come? Well, first of all, um, I'm, 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 I'm a future specialist. I practice something called integrated air digestive medicine. It's integrated the respiratory system and the digestive system. It's true. I don't look in the colon. Um, but I, um, I do endoscopy. We use an ultra thin and awake patient, um, transnasal esophagoscopy, um, so that I, I, I take care of, um, the entire aerodigestive tract. So I represent the future specialty. You're, you're already crossing the line there because, you know, there's like a, like a vaginal right. line between the, the gastros and the otolaryngologist. You don't cross that line, but you do. I do, I'm crossing it. I know more, I know about the part of otolaryngology that otolaryngologists don't know about. I know about the parts of allergy that allergists don't know about. I know about the part of pulmonology that pulmonologists don't know about. And I know about the parts of gastroenterology that gastroenterologists don't know about. And that, in my opinion, is a field that in the future will have to go to the primary care physician. The article of which you Speaking appeared in the New York Times June 4th of 2017, and it wasn't. It was the specialist stranglehold on medicine. When I look at my patient population, my patient population. I saw a man from Texas, very bright, very wealthy today, and he had seen two lung doctors, had multiple chest X-rays, a CT scan of his sinuses, a CT scan of his lungs, had seen two gastroenterologists and three otolaryngologists. Guy's been coughing for 48 years. Hmm. Okay, all of them clueless. And the reason they're clueless is the specialty boxes are too small. Mm -hmm. So the specialists, what do the specialists do? Why do they go into specialties? The specialist, the thing, what is the thing that the specialist is best at? Specializing. <laughs> no, that's not what they're best at. They're best at making money. Okay. If well, you that, that, I'll tell you, that's another reason. I mean, clearly, the generalists make less money. And if you want to, you know, if you're a gifted student and, you know, you make it through the hierarchy and there's kind of a culling process, uh, go for the gold, you know, get uh, advanced training and then you can... Uh, but the problem is that they're really unethical. Nobody says this out loud. You go to an allergist, you're having allergy testing. You go to a GI, you're having an endoscopy. You go to an ENT, they're going to want to fix your septum. And so, you know, you give a boy a hammer and the world becomes a nail. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that the patients who have respiratory reflux, which is probably now approaching 80 million people, have no doctor. Because the GI people stole reflux and the poor ENT and pulmonologists don't have a test for it. So what we really need to do, and the, the part of this article that I thought was so controversial, is we go to CMS, which is Medicare, and we say, look, now we have an idea, and you've tried this before, but we'd like to try it again. Let's take 20% off all specialist reimbursement for all specialist procedures and give it to primary care physicians with the idea that they're going to make, on average, about two hundred to $250,000 a year, and then let them be in charge of patients. Wouldn't you like, I say to my patients, a doctor who had your back, wouldn't you like mm -hmm. a doctor who cared about you, mm -hmm. who said, hmm, I don't know much about this. Let me find out before we make a decision. Yeah. And so uh, I would take the primary care physician 
and let them be the uh, first tier reflux mm-hmm. doctor rather than the ENT or the GI. And I think that's the future. And, and you know, that's the really the role of the primary care physician, supposedly, is to be a gatekeeper to, yeah, okay, make the referrals to specialists, but uh, in a judicious way, uh, protecting patients from the excesses of the specialists. Because once you go to a specialist, uh, you know, usually in for some kind of procedure, well, that's what I do with my patients. I'm a primary care physician with an emphasis on nutrition. Well, I'll tell you what's so funny is I see this all the time. First of all, I had a patient today. Uh, who was, I won't say what group, but was seen on a certain floor on Madison Avenue. And uh, the patients who go to that floor see all the doctors on the floor. So that that patient had been to every doctor on that floor. And uh, so that's a problem. And, and, the, and, the, and the primary care physicians um, need uh, education in uh, respiratory reflux and nutrition. You're, you're the you're the you're the outlier and you're the pioneer, and um, there's no question in my mind um, that uh, all these diseases that are common now uh, that stem from obesity and diabetes and heart disease, everyone's on a statin. Nobody needs to be on a statin. You need to stop eating, you know, all the the, the high fat foods. Um, I personally am a vegetarian. Um, I did it because I wanted to live a long life. That's why I did it. And um, and so diet and nutrition are are number one, and it's an area um, you and I have probably self-educated. My patients have educated me, but the problem is that physicians, particularly gastroenterologists, when asked, "Is there anything else I should do besides take this purple pill?" they say, "No, just eat normally and take your pill." Yeah. And so this this gap in understanding between the cause of the disease, which is food or bad food, and the disease is the missing piece. Well, That's primary, primary care. It's primary care. Well, you know, we unfortunately, uh, that gets short shrift in modern medicine. I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us, uh, Dr. Kaufman, and, and give us some resources. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, your books and your practice? Uh, you're located in Midtown Manhattan, I presume. We're at 57th and 7th. Couple of things. First of sure. all, the Voice Institute of, of New York website, Voice Institute of New York, has everything from take the quiz to see if you have reflux to a lot of the research articles and the blog. I've put up a blog on TPIs recently. I put up a blog on alkaline water this morning. If you Google dropping acid, you're not going to find Timothy Leary. I have written <laughs> four books on reflux now. Dr. Kaufman's acid reflux diet includes vegetarian and gluten-free recipes. And finally, there's a book, uh, besides the new uh, children's book, Acid Reflux in Children, called The Chronic Cough Enigma. And for people who have chronic cough that have been running from doctor to doctor to doctor, The Chronic Cough Enigma is for you. So, and uh, the Voice Institute of New York is easily found, and dropping acid is easily found. Well, great stuff. And, you know, congratulations on just a marvelous career. And, you know, for having the courage uh, to step out of the box and to seek the truth, uh, despite, you know, what the paradigm dictates that we do as doctors, you know, too often it's paint by numbers medicine. And you certainly exemplify a creative approach to a challenging problem. So uh, really appreciate your, uh, your efforts in this regard. Jamie Kaufman, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.